Well, it's so good to see you all here at Hope on this uh, Sunday. We survived the tornadoes. We survived the snow. We survived the wind. It sounds like, uh, sounds like God on, on the mountain with Elijah. You know, what's next? Uh, you know, we've had a crazy week. And for those of you that have moved to Charlotte recently, welcome to Charlotte. That's us in the wintertime. Uh, I'm still believing somewhere in March we're going to have like this, this huge snow. It's going to have to happen. I believe it. So, um, hey, uh, pray, pray for a couple of our friends. Some of the churches we help oversee, they, they meet in schools like we used to. And so, uh, CMS has a great rule. If they're closed on Friday, nobody can be there over the weekend. So four of our churches got kicked out of their buildings this Sunday. Uh, so they're all trying to figure out how to have church today. But how many know that where the presence of the Lord is, there is freedom no matter where you are? And we are just praying for Vision Church and Neighborhood Church and Encounter Church and uh, right down the road here at Greater Church that they just experience God's goodness today. Because how many know that God is good to us? Amen? Always, right? Last week, we heard about God's goodness through one of our missionaries. Um, Y'all were so gracious in receiving her and her, her ministry, the International Disability Ministries. Uh, there's some cards out in the foyer uh, to pick up if you want to be praying for her, supporting her. Guys, I think what an amazing thing God is doing, that we are all missionaries. Amen? And uh, we celebrate that. Y'all didn't amen that very well. We're all missionaries, right? Amen. You are embedded. Some of you think that Bank of America is your source. Guess what? It's not. God just embedded you in a cubicle somewhere because he wants to represent Christ right there through you. That's our mission field. Wherever we are, let's make Christ known. Amen? Hey, we are in what is the world is, is, is uh, put around the thought of this is the month of love. Come on. Come on. It's everywhere. I mean, they couldn't get the Christmas displays down quick enough back in December to throw up the Valentines, right? And uh, we're right in the heart of it, and I know in my house, this is an expensive love month because my wife's birthday was this week. Hey, happy birthday to the Miss Denise here, and uh, I'm not saying anything about age. We're just both growing gracefully. Then we have, uh, we have Valentine's coming up. Men, public service announcement. Valentine's is when? Come on. Friday. What, when is it? Did they cancel Valentine's? Man, way to go. Uh, we have Valentine's. I have a birthday coming up. So in our house, we always struggle. I, I proposed to my wife on Valentine's. Come on. I'm trying to earn some points here. Y'all help me out here. Because we were celebrating her birthday in a minister's conference this week. Yeah, it doesn't get more romantic than that. But uh, we were up in Asheville in the snow yesterday. And, you know, it's, it's a month that, that we celebrate a lot of things. And, and it's funny to me, there was, we were, Pastor Chad and I were talking about this month. And like, where, where's God's leading us? We were coming out of praying and fasting. And I told him, I said, you know, I really feel like we're supposed to speak out of a chapter that unfortunately has been co-opted by the wedding industry. Uh, a chapter that is, that is so powerful, but yet we don't read it a lot because we're just too familiar with it. And that's 1 Corinthians 13. So I want you to find that in your Bibles. And if you're on version under events, you can find our notes, Charlotte's Hope Church, and uh, can follow along. Because what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to take what God said is the absolute foundation of our lives, and we're going to spend a week on each one of them saying, God, we need to build our lives on faith, hope, and love. That's what God said for us. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, to the end of the chapter, it says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You know, this chapter, which seemingly we only get to hear in a wedding ceremony, has really been, has a, has a mistaken identity. It's not a love chapter. It's not a wedding chapter. It's a life chapter. The Apostle Paul wrote 
to a church that was absolutely hitting the wall of life. And how many know that that translates to many of us right now? It's a, it's, a, it's a chapter written to us to say, you know what? When everything else around you is shaky, there's three things God has promised us that will endure. They are the love of God, they are faith in God, and there is the hope that comes out of that faith, and God wants us to build our foundation on that. So in these weeks ahead, I'm going to dive in today and talk about faith. Pastor Chad's going to talk about hope next week. I'm a little jealous of him on that one. And then I'm coming back, and we're going to, we're going to wrap it up with love. But here's Paul speaking to a people. And he's telling them this, and this is really the lesson, the overarching lesson of 1 Corinthians 13. We can build our lives on a lot of things. We can put our trust in a lot of things. We can put our hope in a lot of things. But Paul said, listen, there's only three things that remain. There are only three things that are bedrock. There are only three things that when the winds blow and the, and the waves come and all that, that we can put our absolute trust in. That is, the, that is our faith in our God the hope in our God, and the love that he gives us. And it's a message today that I, I believe will speak into us because it's a message that is counter to what so many experience in this world today. There are too many people living in fear when God has given us faith in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God wants us to overcome that, but he does it by showing us how to walk by faith. So this morning, we're going to read the entire chapter. It's only 13 verses. We won't do that each week. But I want you to see it more than a wedding chapter, all right? 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or in angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So what Paul's doing, he says, look, guys, the Corinthian church had built themselves around a lot of things. Man, they flowed in the gifts of the Spirit. They, they, they loved the miraculous. They, they liked that, that emotion. And he said, look, understand, that's good. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we need the gifts of the Spirit operating. That, that makes us full. But he says, you have to understand something. When that service is over, that setting is over, and you go out in the world and you, you hit things that cause fear head on, understand there's only three things that are really going to stand strong, and that is your faith, your hope, and your love. So he's kind of busting through things they put their hope in. He said, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never what? Help me out. And I feel like I should say, now you may kiss your bride. I mean, it's just where this is usually used. But Paul says, no, it, it goes beyond that. He says, it's where there are prophecies, listen, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we only know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childhood behind me. For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Father, I thank you, God. Father, just in that worship earlier, God of singing, Father, I know we worship you always, but coming together as a, as a body, as a, a family, and just lifting our voice to you, God, we just felt and sensed, God, that tangibleness, God, that you, you bless us with, God, that, that moment we go, God, thank you, God, for being so near to us, because you promised that, God. You said you will always be near. You said if we draw near to you, you draw near to us, God, and we experience that today. 
So, Father, I just pray you open our hearts and minds to something familiar. But, Lord, let it move beyond the familiar, God, to something that is powerful, that is life-changing, and that is full of hope. God, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Those last couple of verses are really where we're going to focus. And I, and I love Eugene Peterson's translation of the message. Anyone read the message at all, maybe devotionally? Great thing to have alongside as you study the Bible because it, it breaks it down to the common language of the day. And for us, it speaks very clearly. And he said in verse 12 in the message, we don't see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. And we'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. For, for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God. That's faith, isn't it? Trust steadily in God. He said, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. So here's the Apostle Paul. And he's speaking to a people that love Jesus. I mean, I, I, people kind of make fun of the Corinthian church. I'd have loved to have gone just to one service. It would have been crazy. I mean, everything was happening. And they were expressing their love of God so much, they kind of got out of the bounds a little bit sometimes. And Paul had to kind of bring them back in. And I'd rather be out of bounds and God bring us back in than be dead. And praying, oh God, breathe on these dry bones again, please. So they were people that were like us. They were real. They were living life. And they, they had discovered this new faith in Jesus. And they were, they were going out and they were being witnesses. And, and Paul was coming along and says, you know what? This is all great. He said, but I want to tell you something. He said, there are highs, there are lows, there are mountains, there are valleys. And you need to know where you can have your life anchored. And it's around three things that will never leave you. It is faith, hope. And love. There are three things that, that when your, your marriage is struggling or you're, you're stressing over your future or you're, or you're, or you're battling the, the pain of life, that Paul says, you know what? You, you may be looking for a miracle. You may be looking for a prophecy. You may be, depending on your own knowledge, but I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a time where it's not there. But I'll tell you what will be there. Faith in God. Hope in what his promises bring. And love that is beyond any love you've ever experienced in your life. And he says, that's where you put your hope. That's where you anchor everything. He said, because we can get overwhelmed with life and feel like we lose our grip because this world's kind of slippery to hang on to sometimes. He said, I want to give you a handle. I want to give you a handle that will never leave you. And that handle is faith, hope, and love. And this morning, we're going to talk about faith. I love faith. Don't you love faith? It's a great word. I remember growing up in church, we'd hear about faith a lot. We'd sing about living by faith. We would hear it. But I remember when I came into a relationship with Christ, I was like, faith. Well, how do you get it? Where, where does it come from? And, and I remember the simple answer that was given to me that didn't help me at all. They said, well, you just got to believe. Okay. In what? You just got to believe. And faith to me was presented almost as this tangible commodity that I had to build more of. They'd say, if you just had enough faith, life would be different. And I thought, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. It kind of reminds me of uh, when, when, I, when I laid eyes on this young teenage girl when I was in my teens and I fell in love and I, I knew something was different. I went to one of the old timers in the church and said, how do you know when you met the one? And in all their collective wisdom, they said, Mike, you just know. <laughs> and I'm like, well, my knower must not be working right now then. Can you give me a little more than that? Because I need to know and that's where we come with faith. Faith is not a commodity. In fact, we make an idol, an idol out of faith sometimes. We have faith in faith, but that's not where God is. We have faith in the promises of the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
And faith is what is shown us in the word of God that drives out all fear. In fact, over 260 times in the Bible, there are stories of faith. It's so important that the word says we can't even please God without it. Look at this in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So there's this faith that we have to have. There's this faith that is our foundation. And God says he, he loves when people walk by faith so much that he says, I even reward you when you seek me. I reward you when you press in. I reward you when you come together. We were, we were away at this retreat this weekend, and it was all church planters in various stages of that development. And, and I have to be very careful because now, almost 12 years in, you can forget what it was like in year one and year two and year three. We were going, oh, God, are we going to survive? And, and I, I saw them just, there was, there was that tension. There was that fear that looked like, did I make a mistake? And God in a moment of seeking him, just came in and did that hug as God only does. You know, that, that, that point where he just comes along and says, I've got you. And church, can I tell you, he'll do that when you seek him. You may be going through something right now and you feel like you're abandoned. He said, if I see, if you seek me, he said, I'll reward you because faith is a confidence, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It's a confidence in what we hope for and an assurance about what we do not see. See, that's what Paul was talking about. He said, we're only looking through a glass darkly. We, we see this reflection, but it's kind of foggy. We, we think we understand life. We think we understand how things roll, but there, there's things that are just uncertain about us. And he said, but there's this faith that says, you know what? I believe in God whether I see him or not. I believe in his promises whether I feel it or not. I, I put my trust in him. But yet in our flesh, we battle and we say, well, God, can I just see it? I'm having a hard time believing in that which I don't see. I meet people that they'll just be very honest. Say, you want me to believe in a God I can't see? I just, I don't believe anything unless I can see it. And I said, have you used Wi-Fi lately? <laughs> kind of rules the world, but uh, I haven't seen it. Sure, I'm glad we have it, though. Have you seen the wind? Have you seen? No, we see the effects of it, but yet it calls us to put our faith and our trust in our God. You see, faith is responding to the promises of God. I, I like the, unfortunately, her story is being lost, but Corey Tenboom said that, that faith is the radar, radar that cuts through the fog. You know, you, you can't see the radar going out, he said, but, but it provides a picture of where you're going. Faith is something that, that reveals to us that God is still working even when we don't feel it. You see, guys, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says it this way. We are to live by faith and not by what? Sight. Live by faith and not by sight. And it challenges us. It's easy when you can see it. It's easy when you can make it happen. It's easy when you feel like you're in control. But I mean, no, we're, we're not as in control as we think we are. You see, faith does something. And when we, when we get a hold of it, we, we put our trust in God and we, we live by faith, it challenges us. To, because when we live by faith, we start choosing to believe even when we don't see it. We, we choose to believe even when it seems impossible. That's faith. Faith that stands strong in the storm. Faith that stands at the foot of the bed in the hospital and says, I, I know God lives. I know he has a future for us. It's a matter of choosing to believe even when we don't see it. Faith, faith does things like this. Faith is obeying God even when we don't understand. 
I don't understand when God says, love your enemies. I don't understand when he says, bless those who persecute you. I'm like, God, can we have a conference call on the side here? Because I'm struggling with this. But if my faith is in his promise, then my obedience goes beyond my understanding. It goes beyond what makes sense to me. It goes beyond my, what my human brain can wrap around because God is the one I, my faith is in. Here, here's one. If we live by faith, we worship even when we don't feel like it. Hello. Have you ever been in a place where we're, we're anticipating worshiping God and you just don't feel like it? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but it may be today, you know? I just see this in my, my strange mind, and I, I see heaven, get, you know, when we get there someday, and I, and I can just see some joker when the angels are like, holy, 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 and we're just worshiping God. Someone standing up and say, hey, God, I like, I like another worship leader better than that one, God. And I don't know that I can worship you because the lights aren't quite right, and the fog's not where it's at, God, and that song, that song's just old. Yeah. Faces, I worship God even don't feel like it. I worship him at work, I worship him in the car, I worship him at home, wherever I may be, that's where my worship goes. And when we gather together, he is worthy, and faith says, give him what he is due, even when you don't feel like it. Listen, faith, when you live by faith, you learn to give or be generous, even when you feel like you don't have it. God didn't ask us to live by sight, okay, what do I have left over, I can be generous with that. No, he said, bring your first fruit. He said, God, I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the month. Well, you either trust that God does or not. That's faith. Faith is trusting even when we don't get it because faith is taking hold of God's promises that literally then raise our expectation of what he is able to do. Church, our God is a mighty God, amen? We trust him for salvation for all of eternity, but we have a hard time trusting him with our kids or trusting with our finance or trusting him with our physicality or trusting him with our future. Yet we will trust him for eternity and somehow our faith doesn't apply to the rest of the life. So I want to help us raise our expectations this morning because hope comes out of our faith. It builds a confidence in our God and we learn to trust him in his word. So I'm going to share with you today five things we can do to just build our faith. I don't, I don't like doing the five thing all the time, but I think it's appropriate today. Five ways we build and raise up our expectations. Number one is this. And that is, if we are going to be people of faith, we got to believe impossible things are possible. Amen? Impossible things are possible. You know what the most impossible thing in your life is? That you're saved and you are forgiven. That somehow the death of a man we never met on a cross in a place we've never been brought an atoning sacrifice that now when our faith is in him, we are forgiven. And our sins are cleansed and eternity in heaven is waiting on us. That's the most impossible thing. But yet we face things all the time on earth now that we say, oh, that's impossible. But we serve a God who said all things are possible to those that believe. I mean, we live in a world, and I, I still vicariously, I love staying in the business journals and the articles and what's going on in, in my past life. And, and, I, and I recognize that today entrepreneurs, corporate execs, scientists, uh, people with theories that we can't even imagine yet, inventors have discovered the power of raising their expectations. Lift it up. What, what is possible? All things. But it seems like at the same time in the church world, especially in the West, we're focusing on lowering our expectations. Well, don't expect much from God. Yeah, we're just a little church hanging out over here. I can't say anything at work. It's not politically correct. I know, I know, I know, pastor, I'm embedded, but I just can't be a witness. 
No, we've got to raise our expectations. God, use me. God, fill me with your spirit, not so I can have a good time in a church service, but Lord, fill me with your spirit that I can be your witness, God, wherever you may go. We've got to learn to raise our expectation. Listen, we're putting more faith in man and our own abilities than we are in an omnipotent God sometimes. And God calls us back and says, look, faith, faith is what I honor. He said, because anyone who comes in must believe that he exists and he rewards those who, who earnestly seek him. I've learned this over the years, and that is that great people expect more out of life. Have you noticed that? People that you want to emulate, people that you see, they just have an expectation. They believe there's always more. There's something God made them for. There's something God's asking them to do. They look beyond their circumstance because they're on a mission. They're on a mission of what God has called in their lives to reflect Him wherever they are. And they, they ask things that are different. They don't ask like, well, what if we fail? They ask things like, why not? Why would we not try this? I, I believe this. And maybe it's... Maybe it's philosophical, but I still think it's true according to Scripture, and that is this. You, you don't really get what you deserve. You get what you expect. I mean, a lot of people in faith are always like, well, I deserve better. Now, if I read the Bible, we don't deserve anything. But he gave us everything. But when I begin to expect the promises of the Bible to come true in my life, now, now my eyes are up. Now, now I'm overcoming. Now I'm looking past the fear of my flesh. And I'm saying, God, I believe it's possible. It reminds me of a story in Mark chapter 2. You may be familiar with it where, where there was a paralyzed man who had some good friends. Can I tell you, when you're hurting, it's a good thing to have friends of faith. Amen? When, when you're struggling, it's good to be part of a body of Christ and not just a spectator. That people know you. Here, there were these friends that came and Jesus came to town. And he was healing. <laughs> I can just picture it. I mean, blind eyes opening and you know, leprosy going away and para paralytics walking. I mean, just, just a beautiful picture of the power of our God. And, and they came and, and the people pressed in so much that this friends could not get this man into the presence of Jesus. They just couldn't get there. And, and yet... Instead of looking at him and saying, buddy, we tried. I'm sorry. You know what? It just must not be your day. Must not be God's will, so we'll just forget about it. No, no. Their expectations were if we can just get him to Jesus, we know he'll be healed. And so they came upon this building. They came upon this place. And as Jesus is teaching, all of a sudden, a little dust started coming down, a little straw, whatever the roof was made out of. And the next thing you know, this paralytic man is being lowered into the service. Now, in today's church world, we'd call the ushers and take him out. How dare you interrupt the concert and the preacher? And Jesus stops. It's great as your faith. Your sins are forgiven. And he was healed. And that story is a story for all of us because their expectation overrode the situation. It wasn't that they created a miracle. We can't. We can't create a miracle. Only God does miracles. But yet, we can put ourselves and others in a position where God is able then to, to do the miraculous among us. Why? Because they had faith to believe that the impossible was possible. You know, guys, I think one of the most debilitating thoughts and statements you can make about any situation in your life is simply this. Things will never change. Things will never change. Well, it's always been that way. My granddaddy had an alcohol problem. My daddy had an alcohol problem. I guess that's just my burden to bear. It's just things will never change. 
My, my, my marriage is, is just on the rocks. We've never really kind of gotten past the early stage, and it's just, it's just never going to change. My kid, I don't know. We can go on and on and on and say, you know what? Things just won't change. And what it does, it takes our confidence in God, and it leads to cynicism. Cynicism. It's deadly. It takes, our, it takes our hopes and it replaces it with desperation, despair. It blinds us to the possibilities that God has better days ahead for us. I mean, those four words, things will never change. Believe it or not, they had the power to actually handcuff Jesus when he was on earth. He did miracles everywhere except his hometown. And you know why? Because the Bible says they did not believe. See, faith is power. But the lack thereof also is powerful. So we've got to move forward in this. We've got to start believing the impossible is possible because we get what we expect, not what we deserve. And it leads us to the second thought, and that is we need to learn to believe that God has better days ahead. That God has better days ahead. <laughs> this is not it, praise God. This is not all there is, praise God. You know, I, I think that Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians 13, we're all romantic, oh, it's a love chapter. Paul, at one point, because of his faith in Jesus Christ, they said, okay, we are executing you tomorrow. And his answer was, go on ahead. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It only gets better. He said, but I'd kind of like to hang around a little while. Because there's more people that need to hear the message God has given me. He was torn between this earthly existence and heaven. Can I tell you, church, things will always be better when God is in control. And we've got to trust that. That's building our expectation and saying, God, there are better days ahead. But when we don't believe that, it sucks any hope, any power out of us. There was a story I, I was reading in a history book, and some of you may know it better than me because you were raised in that part of the country. But back in the 50s in Maine, they were damming up a, a Maine river. And they, they, when they were doing it, there was this little picturesque town that, that unfortunately get wiped out. And so they came to the town folks, and the utility said, look, we're going to buy your houses, we're going to buy your land, we're going to give you good value for them. And oh, by the way, you get to stay here for three more years because it's going to take that time for the dam to get built and the water to raise up. Well, a local guy was a journalist, and he had the thought. He said, I wonder what these next three years are going to be like because all of a sudden an expiration date's been put on our future. An expiration date's been put on our town. And so he kept coming back to the city, coming back to this little village that used to be picturesque and beautiful and, and all this. And all of a sudden he noticed that, that people had stopped caring, that, that, that garbage was in the streets and that, that things that needed repair weren't be repaired and people who were neighborly were no longer neighborly. And, and he, he wrote this argument, his conclusion was simply this, and it's so powerful to us today. And that was where there is no faith in the present, no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. If I don't believe God is working for me, then I get cynical. If I don't believe God has days for me, then I, I stop trusting. If I don't believe my marriage may be something that can grow into a place where people say, that's the marriage I want, then we just stop. We stop believing. You see, faith in God says better days ahead. Faith in God does not diminish that some things are bad. Okay? Faith is not ignoring circumstance. It's just not letting circumstance overwhelm your trust in God. Because there are things that happen, we're like, that's bad. But by faith, we believe God has a better finish than we see. You see, when you believe for better, you expect positive things to happen. You begin to work towards making those things happen. That's why Hebrews 10, verse 22 says this, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, 
and with full assurance that faith brings. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is what? Faithful. Do you believe it? See, that's the, that's the point. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in your religion. It's not faith in others. It's faith in him who is faithful. So we've got to believe that he has better days. The third thing to raise our expectation is to realize the power of perspective. To realize the power of perspective. It's, it's humorous, but it's not. Of how many people are sitting around waiting for a change of circumstances in their life. Well, if God would just get me a job where there weren't all these heathen around, then I'd, I'd, you know, I'd be a great witness for him. Well, if God would just do something with my husband, then my life would get a whole lot better. Remember, it's Valentine's this week, guys? Yeah. Well, if, if they just, God, you got to change my circumstance. And they get so frustrated and angry and disappointed because God just won't change their circumstance. When often they just need a change of perspective. That maybe the heathen you're tired of working around where all the language is not what you like and all this stuff. Maybe the fact is God set you right in the middle of it as a light of righteousness, not to condemn, but to say there's a better way. There's a better way. Because you see, when you start recognizing you are a missionary wherever you are, that God has embedded you wherever you may be working or going to school, your whole outlook changes. You're saying, oh God, don't take me out of this circumstance. Use me in this circumstance. It's perspective. You see it. We hope we're going to see it in our beloved Carolina Panthers next year. You see it in sports teams. The new coach arrives. And all of a sudden, something that is trending this way, given time, starts trending that way. And you're like, well, what changed? The talent's still the same. The uniforms are still the same. What changes? Well, I'll tell you what changes. One man shows up with a different perspective and a different expectation. And all of a sudden, people start rising up into that expectation. We see it all the time. You see it in the Bible. In fact, in Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of David, terrible history of, of captivity and destruction and war. In fact, if you study the Old Testament, 92 years, the great walls of Jerusalem laid in ruins. 92 years. Think about that. That's a long time. 70 years, they were in captivity in Babylon, and, and they settled into that mindset of things will never change. We might as well just get used to it. If God has abandoned us, we're just done. God's not going to change our circumstance, so we're just, why, why bother? And then God brings the story of one man who had a different perspective. His name was Nehemiah. And Nehemiah wasn't a big star. He wasn't somebody with great cloud. In fact, he was, the, he was the wine taster for the king. In other words, he was the one like, oh, please let it not be poison. Thank you. Okay, here, king, you can drink it. That was his job. But God had a perspective in him nobody else had. He went to the king and said, can I go back? And can I make a difference? 92 years, the walls lay in ruins. Nehemiah gets a different perspective, puts his hope in God. And in 52 days, they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Church, can I tell you, there are things in your life you're saying are impossible. And God's saying you need to get a better perspective. It's not about your circumstance changing. It's about you beginning to see God in your circumstance and God working through your circumstance to bring him glory. I love Psalm 126. It's kind of the, the psalm written about Nehemiah. And when they, they finished this, and he, it says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who, who dreamed. Guys, we've got to start dreaming again. We've got to let start, God, let, start letting God dream through us again. 
we got to raise our expectations, get our eyes up, get them off of what man can do for us, and say, God, we want to be like people who dreamed. Verse 2 says, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, because look what happens when our expectations rise. The nations say, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. I tell you guys, when believers begin to raise their expectations... God begins to show up in power and in might. When you start having a different expectation and stop praying for the circumstance to change, God can show up. Paul was addressing a people that needed to hear this. He says, look, you've got to believe the impossible is possible. You've got to believe there's better days ahead in God. You've got to understand that, that there's a perspective that we have that is a perspective of faith because you know what happens if you don't have that, then you just live in fear. And that's the fourth thing I want to show you, and that is we've got to replace fear with faith. They're in exact opposites. They're exact opposites. But let's be real, we face fear all the time. In our human journey, we face fear all the time. What if it doesn't work? What if that doesn't go well? What if they don't show up? Oh, I was, I was teaching uh, some church planners. I still remember the day on September 14, 2008, standing inside the movie theater, afraid to open the doors at 10 o'clock because I was thinking, God, what if nobody's out there? Fear. But then faith was, did God call me? Yes. Did he say a church can happen? Yes. Open the doors wide then. Let's go. And from then on, God just began to work. You see, God, we replace fear with faith. There's a story that you're all familiar with in 1 Samuel 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. We need like a little flannel board up here to David. You know, giant. You know the story, right? Little guy with five stones and a sling takes out big giant. Okay, you know the story. But that story is really a great picture of the difference of fear and faith. The children of Israel and the armies of Israel were great because God was great. They weren't tactically better. They didn't have better weapons. They had something great. They had the power of God. And when you read the Old Testament, the victories the children of Israel won were always dependent on two things, their faith in God and their obedience to God. If they ever got whipped, you can find out they lost their faith and they stopped obeying God again and again and again. So here in this story, God has arrayed the children of Israel under the leadership of Saul against the army of the Philistines. They were the mortal enemies of Israel. They were, they were like we would see the demonic host today. They were always just coming around the edge of stealing, trying to disrupt life. And here was this great moment where there could be great victory, but unfortunately the children of Israel lost sight of their God and began to look only at their circumstance. Because every day the Philistines would send out this giant named Goliath. Now, no joke. If you're, if you're my size, you're five foot eight, and a guy shows up that's over eight feet tall and his spear's bigger than you, there might be a little fear, okay? And he would come out and he would say, hey, we're not fighting this battle. You send me one man, we'll fight. If I lose, y'all rule us. If you lose, we rule you. That was the, that was the taunt. And the children of Israel, the, the armies of Saul, uh, unfortunately in that moment, they, their, their faith was not on God. Their faith began to be on them. They're thinking, we can't beat him. There's not a one of us can beat him. And they, they begin to cower back and they begin to let, be, let their lives be dominated by, by fear instead of trusting in God. And, and you can see it. They went on this downward path where the fear got deeper and deeper and deeper. I mean, check it out. They, they begin to focus on their problems instead of God. They begin to focus only on their problems. I mean, think about it. They bore the name of God. They, they had seen the miracles. They proclaimed his name, but now all they could see was this giants. And sometimes we get in those places, don't we? 
our circumstance seems so big, we just get in awe of it. We stop, we stop recognizing that, that God has said, I've got it. And we, we put our, our focus there, and we're like, God, but that problem's so big. I, I don't know what I can do with that. It's, it's more than I am, God. I can't even bear it. And what happened is not only they focus on the problem, they began to expect to be defeated. They were done. They were done. We're, we're lost. It's hopeless. Oh, they make a show of it. They'd show up, and they'd give the battle cry, and as soon as the giant showed up, they all go hide back in the trenches again because, again, they were dismayed, and they were terrified. And they did what we do. They do what a lot of us do, and that is they began to have that attitude of self-protection. Well, I've got to take care of me then. I've got, got to figure this out. I've got to, I've got to save face here. I don't know where God is. That giant's so big. I wish he'd do something about it, but I, I've just got to take care of me, and that's what was happening, and they literally ran from their problem. Can I tell you guys? Your problem may be the very moment and the very thing that God is using to reveal to you his power in your life. The problem you think is so great may be the very thing that God is testing you in because there are greater things he wants to do in you and through you if you put your faith in him. But they had no faith in God. They lost their faith in God. And here comes David, this little runt, ruddy complexion, know-it-all. I mean, let's just be honest. He's the little kid brother you like to smack in the back of the head. That's David, all right? And David shows up, and David had a whole different attitude. They had lost sight of God. David had nothing but faith in God. They had only seen the giant as being something that was too big to defeat. I mean, look, have you seen him? David says, yeah, he's too big to miss. Bring it on. I mean, he counting the lion and the bear. What's this giant? I mean, after all, he's, he's right there in front of him. So David brought a whole different attitude. Instead of focusing on the problem, he began to focus on God. And I'm going to read you some scripture. It won't be on the screen. But David is the best smack talker in the world. So David in, in verse 17 said, He asked the man standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's not saying, look at me, I, I can take him out. No, he says, look, don't you understand? Our God is greater than him. Don't you understand? God's already given us victory. Have you forgotten the formula, people? Faith in God, obedience in God. But you're letting this giant overwhelm you. So he focused on God. In verses 45 through 47, he anticipated God's help. I think it's one of the best this should be in a movie. David, David says to this giant, now picture this, okay? David's probably about 5'6", five, 5'8", five, somewhere in there. I'm, I'm guessing a buck 40 soaking wet. And he's, he's got a slingshot in his hand. Here's this giant. I mean, battle tested, muscles ripping, everything you hope you might be someday, guys. And he's standing there. And David says to him this, look at this. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel who are cowering over here, whom you've defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Man, talk about cocky. He threw it down. He's like, ah. You are not defying my God. You're not overwhelming my family. You're not taking my marriage. No, Satan. My God says he is greater than you. And the word says, if I resist you, guess what? You got to flee. 
You see, faith is the opposite of fear. Here's David. He focused on God. He anticipated God's help. He insists on being involved. He's not looking around saying, oh, who can go fight this giant? Who can take care of my problem for me? Oh, let's go talk to the pastor. Let's find... No, he's like, hey, suit me up. I've got a sling. I've got five stones. And Saul's like, David, I feel bad for you, man. Take my armor. And David's like, it doesn't fit. Church going to tell you, when God puts you up against that which you are fearful of, God is going to work through you. And what you have is more than enough if you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. You don't need someone else's armor. You need someone else's strategy. You need God's strategy. Because God's strategy will lead you to victory. So he insisted, I'm going to be involved. He took time to repair. He gathered the stones. And he goes out and defeats the giant. And what happened happens all the time when you get around people of faith. His faith had an impact on everyone else around him. I mean, think about it again. David goes and stands over the giant. He, he takes his sword out of the sheath, and he, he kills the giant, cuts off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they ran. It's over. They had faith in their giant. They ran. And now all of a sudden, the Israelites rise up. They're like, oh, yeah, we got this. Now they're going. Why? Because the faith of someone else made them realize they need to put their faith in the same place. They need to put their faith in God. And they shouted and pursued the Philistines all the way from the gates of Ekron. You see, guys, the principle is this. Faithful obedience, just as well as unfaithful disobedience, always has a ripple effect on those around us. Mom and Dad, you, you're trying to raise godly kids and walk by faith and not by sight then. Mom and Dad, you, 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 you're, you're trying to, to win uh, someone you're, you're, you fell in love with into the body of Christ because you'd like to marry them. Can I tell you, don't compromise your faith to win them. You stand strong in faith and let them see the goodness of God. Church, when the things are out there and God says, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, and we're like, how? Keep your eyes on God and begin to have faith in Him because you know what happens. And I'll tell you, it happens around here. I have so many pastors I run into in this area. They've seen us build buildings. They've seen us delving. Listen, we're not anything. Our God is something. And it's causing their faith to rise up. And they're saying, you know what? He's still doing miracles in our area. Yes, He is. There's people that need Jesus. Let's keep going. Because our faith has a ripple effect to all those around us. You see, when we live in fear, we live in a prison. When we move to faith, we walk in freedom. Because no matter what our need is, faith says God is greater. No matter what our challenge is, God is bigger than that challenge. No matter what our weakness is, oh, I like that. God is stronger than your weakness. In fact, it's when we take our weakness and put it in his hand that he gets the most glory. Because when I'm weak, he is strong. So faith always overcomes fear. Raise your expectation of what God can do. Raise your expectation of what he will do. Replace your fear with faith and replace finally, if we're going to raise our expectations, replace the what if with why not. Replace the what if with why not. When God speaks to your heart, maybe he says, hey, I want you to pray for your spouse. And your fear says, well, well what if nothing happens, God? I'm going to look like a fool. But faith says, why not? Why not open the door for God to do a great thing? Those men that brought the paralytic up onto the house, there was no guarantee that Jesus was going uh, to heal him, but they had faith to believe it might happen. They said, why not? We're not going to let the crowd keep us away. Let's get him in the presence of Jesus so that he can experience the power of Jesus and the miracle happen, and he was raised up to, to walk again. You see, we, we put our faith so often 
in the things we can taste, touch, see, and feel. We put our faith so often in the experts. How many know the experts get it wrong a lot? I, lo I love this. Put this up here. This guy, his name is Lee DeForest. He's the inventor of the cathode ray tube, 1926. While theoretically and technically television may be feasible, commercially and financially, it's an impossibility. A development which we need not waste a little time dreaming. I think he was wrong. Mr. Watson, IBM. I think there is in the world a market for maybe five computers. Yeah, we're sitting on one right now. You're probably texting somebody right now. You wouldn't do that, though. Sometimes we put more confidence in the things of the world than in our God. We began this church on the weekend that everything crashed, September 14, 2008. Jobs were lost. People were freaking out. Homes were being taken away. It was horrendous. But in the midst of it, people of faith rose up and said, you know what? What better time to speak of the hope of our God? What better time to stand by faith? What better time to keep moving forward? Why? Because we either choose to re receive the report of the world or we choose to receive the report of God. Because if I live by faith, I've got to choose to believe sometimes when I don't see it. And you know what? That's most of the time. Because again, we look through the glass darkly. I've got to choose to obey when I don't even understand it. God says, hey, bless that person. And you're like, God, I was saving that. God says, do it anyway. I don't understand. Do it anyway. You see, faith says, yes, God. We got to worship God. We don't feel like it. We give. We don't feel like we have it. We trust even we don't get it. Why? Because God has promised us he will never leave us nor forsake us. I was thinking about this this week, and we're going to close here. Faith, overcoming fear, is a birthright of every believer. You can see in two weeks I'll talk about love. God is what? He is love. Perfect love casts out what? All fear. So when I come to faith through Jesus Christ, one of my birthrights is overcoming fear by my faith in God. And so now I don't have to lay awake at night and going, God, what's my future going to be like? What's going to happen to my wife? What's going to happen to my kids? I don't have to freak out when, as a pastor, when you share your burdens, you share your stories, and I'm like, God, that's a tough one, God. But you're tougher. You're greater. You see, it's a birthright that we no longer are bound by fear because we're a child of God. And I believe it's time for the church to stand up and take hold of that right and say, no longer, Satan, are you going to mess with my life through fear? It's human. I get it. But it's not an excuse, because in my humanity, in my weakness, my God is strong.